So you're telling me after five years, no one thought to drive backwards? <laughs> My name is Danny Duncan, but you might know me by my username lacrosse fan 44 i'm joined by my host lorby you might know her from her username butt sniffer 69 <laughs> welcome to film is lit my real name is is danny i'm the film expert my name's laura she her i'm the literature expert yes uh he him for me as well Welcome to a very special episode of the pod. This is, if you're new, this is a pod where we compare and contrast a piece of literature to its film or TV adaptation. And today we're doing a movie adaptation of a pretty, pretty thrilling book, fun book in our opinion. And it's a guest episode. Oh, the first episode of season four. Yay! Yeah. So we are just running through this. We're not even a year old and we've got... Yeah, on the season four. So a very special episode. We are joined, and I'm going to get this right this time, because the last time I had a brother on, I called him my old brother. I don't know why I didn't call him my oldest. <laughs> but now I have the middle between. I have two older brothers, so I have my older brother, not oldest, Tim. Tim, say hi. hey -o. What's going on, guys? Yeah. Welcome, Tim. <laughs> Welcome to Films Lit. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. But we finally have you on. I'm so excited. We share a lot of the same likes. Interest. Yeah, interests. That's the word. Interests. And we like the same movies, but we differ on some things. I'm a gin drinker. You don't like gin, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, maybe we're, we're stocking up on the gin for the wedding. So you might have to get used to it. To that We're only serving <laughs> gin drinks. <laughs> Yeah, but no, I think I think we like the exact same movies, with the exception of like Cloverfield, which is the worst movie ever made. So, it could, well, Clo when that came out, what I remember, you took me to see that in what in two thousand eight. So something like that, yeah, two thousand eight. So I think I was in eighth grade, and I had never seen a found footage movie before. So I think I was just taken by the novelty of it. But <laughs> yeah, I've never revisited Cloverfield. How about that? No, fair enough. All right. Yeah, so I I honestly don't know how I'd like it because oh, TJ Miller is in both Cloverfield and in, in this movie that we're talking about today. <laughs> Ooh, There's a little connection crossover. there. The movie and book in question is Ready Player One. I think a lot of people have heard of this property because the movie was directed by uh, an up-and-coming uh, director, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> yeah. Ever heard of him? Uh, it's funny that this is the first Spielberg adaptation that we're covering. Oh, yeah. That's kind of crazy that, that it's huh. taken this long. We might do Jurassic Park in the future, but yeah, this is the first Spielberg movie. It, it's funny because this is probably the least Spielbergian in the sense that you can't really detect his directorial voice. I'm not mm. sure, but it, it does have the schmaltz, and we'll, we'll get into that pretty cheesy <laughs> ending, which you warned us about. But yeah, let's just jump right into it. So Tim, bro, get into your uh, journey with Ready Player One, both the book and the movie. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. So so I first read this book back in uh, 2017. Uh, it was recommended to me by a coworker, actually. Um, I just started this new role with my company. Uh, leading the tech and innovation group. And I think the guy just thought I'd get a kick out of the book with its kind of futuristic tech and all. And uh, and he was 
absolutely right. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I love the book. Uh, it was probably my favorite read of that year uh, and really one of my favorite reads of the last couple of years, I think. I read it again before this podcast and it's just, it's a really fun and easy read mm-hmm, uh, yeah. with loads of unnecessary 80s references that I totally <laughs> got a kick out of. Um, <laughs> and uh, another reason I, I really enjoyed it so much was because of how relevant it was to my, my current work at the time um, and still to this day. Really, uh, a huge part of my work in, in construction tech is trying to really like better connect our project teams remotely, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, especially now that we've been on, on lockdown for so long. So I've been, I've been messing around with different VR solutions for the last couple of years, really, uh, with, for things like virtual inspections, 3D walkthroughs of, mm-hmm. of building models with architects and owners. Um, who are in, in different cities and, and can't travel, right? So, yeah. so now compared to the books VR tech, I think we're we're quite a ways behind mm-hmm. in, in the real world. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we're we're that far off uh, from the level of simulation in in Ready Player One, which is equally exciting and terrifying. I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when you think about it. So, so yeah, that was the book, um, and then the the movie came out a year later. I think, uh, and mm-hmm. I was pretty excited to see what direction they'd go with, because um, there's a lot of content in this book, right? Yeah. Kind of way more than they would they'd be able to fit into a, a movie's runtime. Mm-hmm. So I was curious how they were going to condense the plot, because when I was reading the book, I was I was thinking to myself, like, man, this would make for a great like six to eight part TV miniseries. Oh, um, yeah. Tim, yeah. I was going to say the same thing. What yeah. are we, brothers? Yeah, <laughs> man. Like, like we're brothers. Um, yeah, I was, I was like, oh, man, this would be this would be great. And then the movie came out and I was like, oh, OK, well, hopefully it's a trilogy, maybe. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, didn't end up being that. And I was also interested to see how they were going to visually portray being inside the Oasis, right? Because there are so many ways you could go with this. But after seeing it, so so here's what I'll say. It's not a great movie. <laughs> I think you guys know that. Like, it's yeah. not going to be one of the classics. Uh, I know there are some serious plot issues. And, they, and like I said, they really laid on the cheese in, in a lot of scenes. Uh, but overall, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the movie. I remember I enjoyed it the first time I saw it. I enjoyed it the second time I saw it. Catherine did not enjoy it. Um, <laughs> she said, I think after I showed it to her, she was like, what did you just show me? <laughs> um, I, I also think that, and I know we talked about this, and you said you weren't a huge fan of the movie, but I was thinking why we differed on that originally. I think a lot of the issues you might have with the movie were, were kind of better explained in the book, right? Mm-hmm. And they just didn't have time to fully explain a lot of the things in the movie that you're like, wait, what about what about this? What about that? So I, I think when I watched the movie, I was just able to kind of write those small instances and issues off and really kind of just enjoy the the wacky ride that that this movie was. So, so yeah, overall, enjoyed it. Um, not as much as the book, but I, I, I liked it. I'll probably watch it again in the future without, without Catherine. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought it was good. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it is an enjoyable experience. I'll say that. I I like it more as an experience than as a movie. I mean, you know me. A lot of times I ruin stories for myself because I'm just scrutinizing (laughs) the plot details and I'm a huge stickler for plot holes and yeah or or having a lack thereof plot holes. You know, I like really tight stories and Spielberg, especially. I mean, 
a lot of his movies are cheesy, but he has really solid narratives mm -hmm. and especially character development. I mean, no one does characters better than Spielberg. And I was just kind of shocked <laughs> to see him walk through. I mean, I, I don't know. He could have been passionate about this project, but I didn't. You can't tell. I didn't see that <laughs> yeah. passion yeah. in there. I mean, I just recently watched Minority Report, and mm. that is as concise, tight, always moving, always thinking about explaining itself in an organic way that to go from Minority Port to this movie, it just seems like, is this the same guy? But who directed yeah. I feel like every every day he was supposed to work on the the character development, he instead just put on a, a VR headset and was like, oh, this is cool. We're going to add this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like... You know, with him in the shining sequence in the movie, I can see him that that is a sequence that clearly has yes. some you know, tender love and care and passion put into it. But it's like references to Halo and Akira. <laughs> it's like Spiel, Spielberg doesn't know that. Like yeah. Yeah. you tell me that, you know, that man put that in there. But anyways, Laura, go ahead with Want your me to dive in. Sure. Well, I'm completely new to this property. Um, I was not excited to read the book when Tim first suggested it. I was, I really, I put this off for so long. I had it sitting on my bedside table and I just, every night I would read something different. <laughs> I was like, I have to get around to this book, but I really don't want to open it. And then I started reading it and I finished it in three days because I was absolutely sucked in and I ended up reading most of it. But then during the day, I ended up listening to some of the audiobook while I was working because Will Wheaton narrates it. So mm -hmm. I had a lot of fun kind of going back and forth between his narration and the book when I could like sit down and actually read. So that was really fun. Again, I'm just shocked that I enjoyed this book so much. I don't think of myself as a video gamer or anything, and I really don't have the context to enjoy those references because as a kid, I just never had that in my life. But recently, I started watching this Netflix docuseries called The Toys That Made Us. Have either of you watched that or seen it no, on Netflix? I've, I've heard of it, but I haven't, I haven't watched it yet. I am so glad that I coincidentally started watching that series before I read this book because it gave me a lot of context about stuff like He-Man that not only was I a, a little bit too young for, I just never would have played with those toys. So there was, for example, a reference to She-Ra in the book, and I would not have known what that was if I hadn't watched the episode of He-Man of um, the toys that made us. So that was really fun. And I think I also just got really drawn in by the whole idea of finding that Easter egg because I am such a nerd when it comes to rewatching television shows and movies. Like I'm totally one of those people that will pause a television show that I've seen a million times, for example, Mad Men. And I'll like look at the back of the set because I'm so drawn in by all those details. For example, I did that on a Mad Men episode one time and I was like looking at the, the set of the creative room and I noticed this poster that I really liked and one time I found it at a thrift store. And so I have that poster. Your own Easter egg. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's the kind <laughs> of nerd that I am. And so I just really enjoyed watching other people enjoy that just in a different setting, like in that video game setting that I don't necessarily connect with, but I understand the motivation behind why people would want to dive into that. So 
I think that's why I enjoyed the book so much. It's just a fun book. Like I would totally yeah. read this again. And I would, I yeah. actually talked to a coworker of mine coincidentally. Um, and I told him that he should read it and his two sons would go crazy for this book. So I've been suggesting it to people. And then on the other side of the coin, the movie was interesting. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'll be revisiting the movie again soon, but I did really enjoy a lot of elements that you think about in the book when you're watching it. But like you were saying, like visualizing the VR experience was, I was really excited to see how they would develop that for the screen. And I thought they did a really cool job. Like yeah. all of that fantasy stuff, especially the whole idea of building your own avatar to represent or hide parts of yourself that you don't like or you want to play up or play down. Like, I am very interested in that. And I think on a psychological level, that's a really interesting idea that as humans, we can do now because we have that technology. Like, prior to VR, I feel like people would just read books for that and you could lose yourself in a book, but you couldn't necessarily lose yourself in the movie because there's always that screen to audience element of mm -hmm. removal. But yeah, so I thought that there were a lot of good things about the movie, but as far as plot holes go, like, and some of the writing, some of the dialogue, I was like laughing out loud because, for example, there's this part. I know at exactly. The end. Oh, wait, at the end? Or Isn't it at the end with Sorrento? You killed my. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, so, <laughs> you killed my mother's my sister. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, that's your aunt why wouldn't you just say you killed my aunt like yeah. so yeah there were some issues that was wade when he confronts sorrento uh in the middle end section i guess act three as you would intelligently say but so yeah i thought that there were pros and cons about the movie but overall if if i weren't so annoyingly in my head about like plot holes and the book and stuff like that i think i would have enjoyed it much more i think our experience was really heightened by our new sound bar that we got for Christmas. Yeah, so yeah. that was fun. It's, yeah, that we got through the Yankee swap, they, which I brought yeah. I brought that gift. I ended up going home with it. <laughs> I mean, hey, you got to bring what you want to the swap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think that it really did. It amplified my experience. I think it would have been incredible in a theater. Obviously, we can't do that now because we're still in the middle of COVID, but... I thought it was fun. So yeah. overall, that's my journey. Laura, to that, to that point, so I originally saw this movie in IMAX. Oh, and yeah. And like uh, that first, chase, the the car race scene was bonkers. And yeah. that's, that's one I've had to go back and watch probably eight or nine times just to catch every little thing in there. But yeah, yeah it, was, it, was a, it was a good one in, in theaters. Yeah, I can imagine. That's a bummer, but... Well, I saw this in the opposite of IMAX. I saw this in 2018 on a flight. So oh. a nice little, <laughs> you know, two inch by four inch screen <laughs> to give out. And yeah, my boss, when I was working as a production assistant on The Ellen Show in 2016, 2017, he was a huge fan of this book, a huge video game fan. He was an adolescent in the 80s and 90s. So exactly this uh, the demo for this book and he had always recommended it to me but I never got around to it and then when the movie came out he also recommended it to me and I didn't see it in the theaters just because my interest still wasn't there saw it on a flight I think coming home for Christmas one year and yeah it wasn't really it, it wasn't really fair to the movie to be honest to see it a lot of 
movies have been ruined on just watching them on a flight. You know, this is definitely an experience movie, yeah. like I said. Didn't get around to reading the book until it was prompted for this podcast. And yeah, really, really enjoyed it. It cleared up some um, holes and uh, weird parts in the book, but not doesn't fully absolve it of all the film's crimes. <laughs> Uh, There are a few cringy parts to the book as well, I think, that are either rushed or just poorly written. I think some of the challenge, I think it's a little redundant to have a challenge for the key and a challenge for the gate. I I know that adds more conflict, but I think the movie wisely just made it win a challenge, win a key and on, on to the next onto the next one. But, you know, it spoke to me in kind of a personal level because I I would consider myself a nerd for movies from the 80s and 90s, but also when I was growing up, so in the early aughts as well. And I remember on our first date, the thing that really broke the ice the most was when we were talking about Blade Runner, the original, because we were going to see Blade Runner 2049. And I'm like, I apologize. I'm like, sorry for nerding out. And you said, no, go ahead, nerd out. And that really made me comfortable. And we just talked for 30 minutes about Blade Runner and, you know, <laughs> yeah. the different, the set design and how it was made. And I think that that's really cool. It is really fun to delve into the making and the Easter yeah. eggs of a project. The book, I, I'm surprised that you read it in three days because I actually needed to break it up because the book felt like we were having that date, but for 10 hours. (laughs) And it's like, at at a certain point, it's like, okay, now maybe we are geeking out a little bit too hard. Like maybe there are a little too many references. So I liked the book, but I did break it up and it it, it took me longer to read. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I rewatching the movie last night. The first act really was enhanced, especially with that chase, even on our TV was pretty breathtaking but then the movie takes a real dip as you're just waiting for the next challenge and then the shining sequence comes and that is like like incredible i mean yeah when i was reading the book i'm like oh snap where this shining sequence was was the blade runner Mm -hmm. sequence which is like that's why i mentioned it right now i'm like that would have been so cool to have a blade runner sequence but at the same time the shining sequence i mean was equally as badass in my opinion great great And then after that sequence, I think the movie just dives. I mean, the last 40 (laughs) minutes is the assault on the castle uh, anorak. And that is just like, I just glaze over. I'm like, this is, there's nothing here. I, 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 because they keep on cutting back and and forth. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. ah, there's nothing. (laughs) So that's when the movie loses. Uh, Did you miss Mechagodzilla? Yeah. I, you know, I, <laughs> that was cool, but but no, the whole time that's going on, I was thinking about, maybe I'm just ruining the movie for myself, but I'm thinking of the mechanics of, so his avatar is inside the Godzilla, but he controlling, it's like, how is he, how does flying work when you walk on a treadmill? And, you know, it's just the mechanic, when you start to think of the mechanics of it doesn't add up and then like artemis escapes her little indentured servant cube because 
there's an escape latch on the inside. I'm like, <laughs> well, the other uh, thing that like this is this is such a problem. Making movies for nerds is such a problem because one of the things that really bugged me was that when Sorrento gets killed, his lives and all of his money and all of his levels should be zeroed out. But then he came back and respawned where he was, and he was able to fight Wade exactly where Wade was, and Wade was like thousands of levels ahead of him. So I was like, that doesn't make sense. Like that wouldn't happen, and they like go out of their way in the book to say that if you die like you can't respawn in the same way yeah. that you died and so i was like oh that that sucked <laughs> it's it's little details like that where it's not thought out like in the book they make it clear that you can't just take off your goggles and disappear yeah that was another thing that's why the catalyst is a real threat in the book yeah. in yeah. the movie it, once you take off your goggles you're out so the fact that Iraq, for example, was running away from the explosion when he could have just taken it off. Right. And a lot of the other characters seeing the blast coming, they're like, oh, no, but in this universe, you can just escape. Well, but they, they also break their own rule because <coughs> then Wade does that. He, he like takes off his glasses really quick when he's talking to Sorrento and then puts them back on yeah. when, he, when he's talking to him when Sorrento is threatening him. So I was like, wait a second. Like, that's not how it works. You just broke your own rule. <laughs> or when, yeah, oh, guys, right. I'm, I'm going to have to interrupt. You, you're both wrong, and I respect you <laughs> disagree. Because it's only in combat zones that your character lags for 15 seconds. You pause if you take your goggles off. If you're in a non-combat zone, you can just take your goggles off and exit. But if you are in a combat zone like Castle Anorak when they were fighting, yeah, you can't take it off. So, it, But that's explained <laughs> in the book, though. And the book, and... I know that's that's, that that's exactly explained in the book, and like no reference to that in the movies uh, at all. But yeah. which is what I mean to to your point, Tim. If this is definitely a, a book that would better serve a miniseries, I mean, I don't know if a miniseries would get this big a budget. It, yeah. I mean, only like Watchmen, for example, is the only like real big budget, or Game of Thrones too. But even then, it's not as yeah. big as, as what was some the budget for this. This was a 175 million, but that's just reported. And as everyone, well, not everyone knows, but the reported budget is never the final oh. budget. But I mean, this made uh, 600 million worldwide. So they yeah, they made they their made it back, right? Warner Brothers made their money back. But yeah, just just little details like that that'll bother me. I've admitted before I'm a big snob when it comes to films like this. Sci-fi is my favorite genre, and I think sci-fi films and horror films are the best they've ever been because oh, yeah. because of technology and VFX. And I can totally see Spielberg wanting to make this film just to play around with the cool technology. I mean, it was nominated for Best Visual Effects. It lost to uh, First Man. Uh, the film First Man, oh, yeah. it probably wouldn't have won that year anyways because in Avengers Infinity War was also nominated for Best mm -hmm. Visual Effects. But it wasn't nominated for like sound or I, I could have even seen editing maybe. I mean, those are some pretty exceptional parts to it. But mm. yeah, not writing. Well, <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> let's before we dive into the analysis, would you say, Tim, that how would you say that the movie adapts the book or would you say that it's a good adaptation in your opinion or is it I, a lot of things are different so do you think like the changes create a better narrative or a worse narrative i i do not i i think it starts out hot and then slowly uh, kind of loses itself 
and, and I can dive into the details, but yeah, I, I did not, I liked some of the changes that they made from the book, but only, only some. And uh, let me think on that. So, so yeah, I, I didn't, did not like the, the changes overall. Um, I think like even, even when they made a good choice, like the shining scene, they really screwed it up with like the second half of that challenge. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I get I can talk more about that and what I what upset me. That was kind of like one of the the big three things that really upset me with this movie was that second challenge. But but overall, yeah, I did like how they they shortened. Okay, three challenges, three keys. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I thought they could have done that miniseries, extended it, and and adapted it because the book, I I liked how you had to win a key that opened a gate for a second challenge but the challenges are so long in the book it's several hours right yeah and it's kind of like playing a game so i I get why they didn't do that i thought they could have had some more fun with with things like putting yourself in the first person yes um, role of a movie right how cool would it be to play like tom cruise and top gun and and Mm -hmm. be that that uh point of view for the whole movie i thought that was brilliant i thought that was really cool or or recreate an old 80s video game kind of in in person right i think they play black dragon right but he he recreates it so instead of that 2d you're in it 3d like those concepts they could have done um instead of the that horrible zombie ballroom scene Uh, (laughs) yes (laughs) but uh yeah overall I, i i think they did the best that they could again for a two-hour movie, but uh, yeah, it, it kind of it, it starts out hot and then only only goes down downhill from there. I think something that I really liked, one of the changes that I really liked was how Sorrento and the IOI gained information about the real people behind the avatars. I really liked the addition of IROC because him as a bounty hunter, number one, he looked incredibly cool and that entire concept was not in the book at all the fact that you could see through the skull of his body was like really cool and he was pretty funny like it was cheesy to have him complaining about his neck all the time (laughs) but like that was hilarious because once something that the movie didn't really discuss that the book talked about was the effect on your physical body of playing a video game for that long and something that also kind of bugged me that was that wade wasn't fat at any point of the movie i was like (laughs) he's not exercising and in the book they make a point of saying that he has really bad skin and he's fairly large until he decides to exercise because he's in a virtual world all day every day so but the fact that like he was kind of discussing his physical body while being an avatar and his avatar looked incredibly cool. And he was a bounty hunter yeah. within the show, like, or within the virtual reality Oasis was really cool. And I thought that was way more believable than them just paying off a principal at the school yeah. and just gaining all that information through a payoff. Like I thought that was really lame and it was lazy writing. So yeah. that addition of the bounty hunter was cool. I, I like that point, Lauren. I, I thought about that a little bit. In, in that, okay, you usually in these movies, right, they have some comedic relief, and that's kind of what T.J. Miller was. But but this works in two ways. In that 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 could be what the what, what an Oasis bounty hunter is like, right? This is right. a person at home who is complaining about his neck or is pretty funny, maybe not even intentionally. Yeah. Um, but in the in the Oasis, he's this badass bounty hunter. 
um, who looks like that, but then he's he's kind of making short jokes, right? And and that's like, oh, this is believable not only because it it's like a movie, but it's like that could happen. This bounty hunter is some fifteen year old kid who <laughs> is just yeah. having fun um, in in this game. But yes, totally. I, I do I do agree with the making Wade like this young hip guy who's like movie poor, right? But still has. Yeah. Orby Parker glasses and Chuck yeah. All Stars. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm so poor. And <laughs> yeah. well, speaking of changes that I didn't like about the book and the movie as well, I was going to talk about how they depicted Artemis because one of my absolute biggest, I was yelling at the television when we were watching this movie, but one of my biggest sci fi tropes. My my absolute least sci-fi trope is how they have the main female character have this quote-unquote debilitating disability or disfigurement, mal- disfigurement yeah. and then you see the real woman <laughs> and there is absolutely nothing wrong with her. Not only that, it's not only is it frustrating to show, to depict something like a Port Weinstein as like debilitating or like so embarrassing that she can't even show her face. But in the movie, she has nothing. There is literally, there is, it's not dark on her face, really. It's just Yeah, it looks like she took her hand and rubbed her eye for a minute. Yeah. And it's like she has a little redness around it. I just, yeah, I really, oh, really you know where that trope showed up? That, where? 11, 22, 63, the show. <sighs> yes, that is exactly <laughs> when, where. When, when in the book, Sadie <laughs> gets her freaking face oh, cut yeah. open. Literally sliced off. And then in the show, it's like around her jawline. Right, and, she and under her hairline. Cover, so she did- covers it, her hair. Yeah. Yeah, I complained yeah. about it in that yeah. episode, and I'm going to complain about it again because it bothered me in the book. And I was like, come on, like this book was written in 2011. I think we've moved past that ridiculous, right. like women are so, like, <laughs> so self-conscious of their bodies that like even like a crooked nose makes them unlovable to society. But then again, like they underplayed it even again in the movie, even more than the book. And that was just like, come on. Um, but anyway, that was just a personal thing that just bugs the shit out of me every time I see it. In yeah, movies. I-, I did notice that as well. It's like... <laughs> already saying that oh you won't like me I, i'm not the same person as what i look like in here and she's literally just a supermodel with a little you know a, a barely noticeable mark yeah. around her and then did you catch in the final scene her avatar rises above and and puts a puts that um oh no I uh, didn't. What I'm saying on her avatar yeah I didn't notice that. Well, now that she's been recognized as lovable by another male, then she can love herself. You need that validation. (laughs) She needs that external validation. Why is she even interested in... Okay, so uh, Wade... In the book, very engaging and you know, cute in a in a in a lovable Nerdy. way. They, they have that really cute cyber flirting scene, which I thought was really well written. I was like, "That's how I would flirt if I were." Oh, in the book, yeah. In the oh, book. yeah. Sorry, oh, I didn't yeah. see a movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That that writing was really good. I believed that he had had an interaction like that because I have. But Danny, <laughs> I like Ty Sheridan as an actor normally. Uh, he's great in the new X-Men films, even though those films themselves aren't great. He was good in The Tree of Life as a young kid. But in this movie, his character is both underwritten and he underperforms it. Uh, Wade in this movie is such 
a boring milk toast, <laughs> yeah. bland, no charisma, drab, white rice, nor- normal guy. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is just such a nothing. And Artemis is, I mean, Artemis is cool in the movie. And she, in that race sequence, your friend Ryan, Tim, is going to like this. She was driving uh, Akira. Yeah. And like that. Again, I mean, I think we're just going to keep on coming back to that sequence because it's pretty visually in- incredible. Yeah. And she, she's badass throughout the movie. I think her dialogue when she's not talking about her debilitating <laughs> disfigurement yeah. is pretty good. Like, I, that's one of the strengths of this movie. And that's another reason why the ending is so eye-rolling for me because it's like, you know, she she's the cooler one. She should be like doing all, all the uh, yeah. all the badass stuff. And I, I was confused why. So she gets the Jade key in the second challenge, but then Parzival gets the points. And then like later on, Parzival saying like, I'm the I got the key. But it's like she got it first. Did, did, did you notice that? Was that um, confusing? I might have checked out. I'm not I'm not sure I remember that. Maybe I missed. Yeah, the, the points. The point structure didn't really make too much sense. Um, and yeah, and it, it kind of takes it away. Like in the movie, right, she gets it because she just is there and kind of like pushes him out of the way and gets it first. But in, in the book, right, she's off doing her own thing and he yeah. just realizes, oh man, she she gets it without yeah. the help of anybody yeah. and is, yeah, this badass character who who don't need no man. Right. Um, but then- yeah, it, in the movie, when IOI comes in and assaults their little revolution fortress, Artemis is like, go, Wade, the the, the universe needs you. Right. And I'm like, no, Artemis, the universe needs you. Yeah. Like, you're the chosen one. <laughs> yeah. You're the cool. And yeah. yeah, I just think I think both the writing and Ty Sheridan's performance. I mean, I'm sure he's a great guy in normal life. He was kind of the wrong pick in my opinion, for this movie. Yeah, it's interesting to look at a lot of feminist criticism about this book because a lot of feminist criticism claims that it's not very supportive of female gamers and it's not very representative of female gamers. Now, I can say as a female who's not a gamer, I A, really enjoyed this book and I B, don't really understand that take. And I think it's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine when people attack books or criticize literature just because there's not like a female lead necessarily. And I thought that she was really well-written. I think she was literally pushed out of the narrative to exemplify that she could figure all this stuff out without anyone's help. And she kept pushing people away, which was understandable because I think when it comes down to it, if you boil down the whole book, like, Wade and her are completely, they're like lone wolves and they're so smart and they get so deep into Halliday's psyche that they are the chosen ones, you know, like they are the only people who are worthy of getting all three keys. And that's why I kind of liked how they had to put them all in the same gate at the same time, because I was like, yeah, like these, all of them had to work as a team and they stood on their own two feet. She was a really well-developed character and I never felt like she needed help. Now, if you go to (laughs) the movie, they made the change that she's the one that goes to the IOI payoff center or whatever, like they kidnap her, but she 
has no agency as soon as she gets there. She has to be helped out. It's not planned. That was a total ambush of their safe haven place. And again, like she has to be helped out. And then she, there's like that scene between her getting out of her pod and then her just like walking out the front door <laughs> of, of the IOI center. And I was like, that doesn't like, <laughs> that's yeah. really coincidental. And then, yeah, she just like sacrifices herself at the end. She has to leave. And I was just like, she doesn't have agency. I feel like you have a better argument that her character in the book is not at all independent. Whereas in the book, I really felt like she was a fully fledged character that I could really appreciate, even though I don't know gaming, I understand that motivation and I understand her like process. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. You, you saying that Laura makes me realize another, this is an issue I had with the, the movie adaptation, not, not one of the big ones, but something that I'll, I kind of looked at the TV oddly. Um, you said like these are loners. They're by themselves, um, and that's kind of really what the book revolves around. And then in the movie, they make her kind of like the leader of like this resistance. Mm -hmm. which I'm like, what is this? The Terminator? Like, what is <laughs> like? Why, why would they have this like real life resistance? Um, I thought that was silly and so unnecessary. Mm -hmm. um, because yeah, in the book, it's kind of like this is like it's you. You're on your own. You're in your parents' basement or wherever you are on the on the run um and making her part of the resistance but then immediately taking that from her yeah. <laughs> and yeah making her the uh damsel in distress was was a little problematic yeah because something that the book did really well was designating the two groups the gunters yeah. and ioi the, the sixers. sixers and it's really cool because it's a virtual revolution in the sense that all the Gunters are working towards the same goal, but they're in different locations. And they have this camaraderie, but it also is a competition. So they don't want to work together. They, yeah. they don't want to give each other hints because that's like giving the other person points, a head start. But at the same time, there is this brother and sisterhood yeah. being a Gunter. And you really feel that familial bond between all all of them and then the sixers you learn all about the sixers in the book and their process and you you get the message that you know they're the big corporation that want to sell out and those two groups are really distinct and there's a you feel form a connection with the gunters more because you understand the amount of work that they put in you understand how they need each other but at the same time they're fighting against each other and in the movie, just because of time, you can't really develop yeah. those two those two sides. You just have you know bad guys and good guys, but really it's more nuanced than that. Yeah, that's a really cool push and pull that I loved about the movie. I really enjoyed like like Tim, like what you were saying about the psyche behind a lot of geeks and how they're so separated, but the internet and virtual reality is something that can really bring people like that together. And I understood like, like Danny was saying, like why they would want to help each other, but like to a certain point. And there were certain lines that even Wade and H wouldn't cross because as much as it's a competition, it's also one of those things where you kind of respect that the other person wants to go through that journey 
by themselves and they want to also feel that accomplishment that you did when you figured it out. So maybe you'll sprinkle some breadcrumbs, but you're not just going to out and out say like, you're going to play this game at this portal, get this score, and then you'll move forward. But you're saying in the movie, it's just not well explored, I think. There's that one scene where Sorrento talks about maxing out the advertising in the game. And I think in the book, like you understand that Halliday created this space for people who like him were not able to interact in the real world. And so you understand that those gunters are trying, they're doing the same thing. Like they want to protect their space because they're like, it's not about advertising. It's a safe place for us to be who we want to be and like reach our fullest potential And that sort of like dug into that whole controversy about the pros and cons of living in such a virtual world. Like if you have virtual friends, do you really know them? Or is it more of a psychological connection because you're not judging each other on your physicality? Or is it kind of lame because you can't like touch each other? Like, is that real human connection? And it's something that I think like we think about a lot, especially nowadays. I mean, I would 100% argue now that I've been in lockdown for about a year that it's really tough not to have physical connection. And I don't know if you can sub in that, but like that's why it's so nice and fun at the end of the book when all those real humans get together and they actually get to uncover the fact that they've built this great relationship on this challenge, but like they can touch each other and they can like kiss and they can hug and they can have that human interaction. And like, that was something that was a little coincidental in the book when Ogden like appears as this deus ex machina. He's like yeah, a liter- invisible. A, a literal deus ex machina. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Like they're like, how can we defeat the IOI? And then he like appears and he's like, I think I can help you. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> that. You just want to wrap up the book at this point. That's a little silly. And that happens in the movie too, where like suddenly they're all in the same place. They're like, oh, we lived in the same area this whole time and we never knew it. I was like, come on. Like, I understand you have to wrap up the movie, but like that's a little coincidental. But yeah, like, like that is such a culmination in the book when they get together and they're in that same physical space. And I, I just think that that translates really well to our time in COVID. They didn't really touch in the movie upon the loneliness, I think, of being addicted to the Oasis, right? They hinted at it a little bit at the end when Halliday was like, remember, this isn't real. Like, Whereas in the book, throughout the entire book, they really, what I liked uh, about that was they, they really, well, Ernest Klein talked about kind of how lonely Wade was when he wasn't in the Oasis. And yeah. he was, I mean, like, severely depressed, right? When he was yeah. living in the real world. And uh, even the backstories of the other characters, like like Daito and Shoto, mm-hmm. um, right? They met each other in a support group for Japanese men who committed themselves to this, this life of seclusion um, yeah. and, and never did meet in real life. And, and, and I, I didn't really catch that the first time I read it, but then the second time reading it, like, oh man, yeah, the the loneliness and and depression of being in in the real world kind of hit harder. Whereas in the book, it's like, yeah, the world's (laughs) kind of tough right now, but we got this cool oasis and it's great. (laughs) And they didn't really touch about, oh man, this is, this is really bad. Yeah. We're not plugged in and it's not real. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. 
All right. Well, moving on, I had a question for you, Tim. You're a big Ben Mendelsohn fan, yeah? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Love him, like Rogue One, all that stuff. Sorry, who does he play? Can you? <laughs> Nolan Sorrento. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. In this film, yeah, he, he has just made a career for himself just playing uh, bad guys. Yeah. Yeah, he's good at it. Uh, yeah. And. Yeah. And he has an interesting role in Captain Marvel as well, where he's playing a role and then there's a cool twist on his character that happens later on. But yeah, what what did you think of his take on Nolan Sorrento in the film? I liked it. I liked his take. Um, he kind of played the... I mean, I, I feel like the character of Nolan Sorrento is not easy to portray, right? It, it wasn't too complex, just kind of a guy out to kind of win it at any cost and pretend that he's into the the VR simulation, but really doesn't. He's just kind of more corporate than anything. So I thought he was good. I thought it was interesting. He kind of chose like this roided out avatar and mm-hmm. <laughs> it just kind of looked like him, but bigger uh, in the simulation. But overall, I, I, I liked it. I liked it better than Ty Sheraton, for sure, for Wade. Um, I thought he was he was pretty well. Yeah, I mean Ben Mendelsohn. He you put him in your movie, and he's he's gonna put forth Can a we, solid performance. A character who does not get enough love, possibly the best henchman name ever in finale. That finale Zandor. I mean, yep. Oh yeah. Completely useless in the movie and as a henchman, but. Oh man, when I was like, I'm sorry, is her name finale? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's F. F apostrophe N A L E spelled on uh, IMDb finale or finale. Uh, yeah. And Xandor is her last name. Yeah. A great, that actress's name is Hannah John Kamen. She was in Black Mirror, the episode Playtest. She screened yeah. that. She was also in Ant Man and the Wasp, which is yep. not a great movie, but she plays a really <laughs> cool villain who can like go through surfaces and walls and stuff like that. She's really cool in that way. When she was tasked with going after the the high five, I was not concerned at all for the yeah. character's safety. <laughs> yeah, when she but... was just like, Nolan, you do your job and I'll do mine. I'm like, you literally haven't done your job once <laughs> yeah. throughout the whole film. Like you have, yeah. your whole job is to yeah. catch and kill the yep. high five. And yeah. at every step of the way, Literally every step of the way, (laughs) they have trumped you and escaped. So that was, yeah, I don't know. I just, Ben Mendel, I don't know. (laughs) He, he, I like him a lot. But the other big change I wanted to ask you about was um, how Wade got his extra life. I wanted to have you talk about. I have thoughts on this. Yeah. What you think about the book versus the movie. Yeah. I, I, Interesting. So in the movie, right, they made it out that the curator was Ogden Morrow the whole time, which mm-hmm. is absolutely absurd. But I like <laughs> to think that, okay, 95% of the time, it's just artificial intelligence. And he has the power to kind of like take over the curator when he wants to. That was the the scenario I made in my mind. Um, so I like that he had the power to give someone uh, an extra life. Because in the book, right, he's tasked with helping the Gunters at all costs defeat IOI. And I like mm-hmm. that he had some part to play in that. In the book, I liked it and I didn't like it. I liked it in that, okay, he was searching for the key and he stumbled upon this game. And you're like, oh, okay, he stumbled upon it. He's going to get it. Bad writing. 
but then you're like, oh, okay, no, he doesn't. He just gets this key. And I, and I, I didn't at the time didn't really consider it to be an extra life. I think the, the first time I read it, um, I was like, all right, this is going to come into play, but I don't know how. And I liked how it, it, it did come into play. And it was just yeah. uh, by happen chance he did that. I thought it was kind of ridiculous. He just beat the high score after, yeah. you know, five, four or five tries, right? Uh, perfect yeah. game of Pac-Man, which is just, okay, we get yeah. it. He's good at gaming. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I think I liked both parts of it in the in the movie when he when that happened you're like oh okay obviously this is the the extra life that Ogdemar is giving I, I guess I don't like that he he has the like that's a pretty big advantage for him to give out whereas mm -hmm. I like that in the in the book he, he won it through you know that almost unbeatable task so so yeah I I, I liked both parts in the movie in the book and I didn't like some parts in the, in the movie in the book if that makes sense mm -hmm. Yeah, in the arcade world in the book, I think that's really well realized. I, I thought that was really cool. Even though I'm not a big classic arcade guy, I think that's just cool to go into that kind of retro yeah. well, 2D. Well, it works graphic. so well with Stranger Things. Sorry, not yeah. to oh, cut you off, but no. like the mm -hmm. visuals of that in Stranger Things is so cool. And I think that yeah. was cool in the book too. So sorry. Yeah, absolutely. But it's funny how in the book, Wade is an absolute... I'm good at everything guy where he like mm -hmm. will come up to a problem and be like, well, actually three weeks ago I planted these. And <laughs> yeah. you're like, yeah. how did you, I mean, bravo. I that, like, Oh, Pac-Man. Good thing. I played this every single night for the last three years. So I'm can beat yeah. it now. And it's like, uh, you, I understand that you're interested in everything holiday is interested in, but to just happen to know the entire dialogue of, of war games and Monty <laughs> Python. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, that's a cool challenge, but the probability that, you know, both of movies by heart, mm -hmm. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Where as conversely completely on the opposite end of the spectrum, the movie, the challenges seem very simple to solve. Like I, I made fun of it in the beginning, but for the first challenge, it seems like <laughs> the right. first the first thing anyone would try <laughs> is to go backwards. I mean, that's just like a common hack Game in, in yeah. video oh, yeah. games. Like uh, gamers hide Easter eggs, you know, in today's games, uh, doing that type of stuff. Five years, no one tried that. <laughs> yeah, and then, so in the movie, Instead of it being Anorak's journals, it's the holiday journals. It's the visualization of that, which is a it's a cool yeah. visualization yeah. of them like going moving scene. I think that's really cool. But yes, it seems like okay. They know that the challenge is about you need to be go inside Halliday's head, like go into his personal life, and it's like no one thought to check about kira before and it's like okay so they just discovered the shining so easily it seemed like yeah yeah and then the last the very last challenge of finding the easter egg the fir very first easter egg in the game you would think that people would put it together that this whole challenge is about easter eggs why not look at the very first Easter egg? Like, it's just yeah. so, it comes so simple to Wade and, and everyone. Yeah. And well, and it's so funny to watch the woman who's working for IOI. Oh, like, yeah. That, figure, like, that talk redhead? herself through she's that. Like, she's like, so if you can't go backwards, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then yeah. try going forward. Wait, adventure to, yeah. And so the yeah. mo the book has some very complex challenges 
in some head scratching how the hell did wade do that moments on the first try nonetheless and then the movie is more of like i I could get that (laughs) easter egg i could do that yeah Uh, Yeah. so i think a happy medium would have been better in my opinion but no i i totally agree and what i liked about the book was he kept how do I want to phrase this? He kept going beyond just what was happening in the present moment, but how it affected the whole kind of virtual world in general. So like, mm-hmm. for example, Halliday created that first person movie walkthrough challenge, and that had never been done before in the Oasis. And then after it came out, Gregarious Games was like, oh man, this is brilliant. They patented it and then they did it for every movie. So you could go in and like do that challenge, which is like brilliant. That's, that's so amazing. cool. You wouldn't yeah. want to do that, right? So totally. he, he kind of always takes like, it would have been easy just to been like, this is the challenge. He did it. Awesome. But he kind of talks about how this would, how everything's tied together from the corporate side to the, the customer side, even with like credits and how those work both in the game and outside the game, right? Like that's basically blockchain right now, right? And cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. and like what we're moving towards. So we always kind of talked about, here's the challenge, here's the game, but here's how it affects people's lives. And here's how it affects companies and, and how they operate. So I thought that was always interesting uh, in the book, whereas again, they don't really talk about it at all in, in the movie. But I, I, I couldn't agree more, Dan. I think you're, you're spot on that in the movie, they didn't think to play adventure. And then when you finally do, you don't go for the Easter egg. Like, what are you, yeah. what are you thinking? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I love that first race scene. It's, yeah. it's amazing. I watch it all the time. But yeah, then you're like, but no one went backwards. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then I don't even get. I, I mean, we can we can dive into the second challenge and and how great it started and how poorly it ended. Um, but <laughs> yeah, man, I, I I do want to uh, I do want to get into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my 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 take on that, right? Like. They started with a shining. I'm all in. Like, this is awesome. I know. This is when great. they come right into the oh, great yeah. room, I was like, like losing my shit because I didn't know that was coming at all. And then it kind of like totally just, all right, now we're going to go to the ballroom. And I was like, wait, but could have incorporated the movie more. And But that that whole scene, right? The, se- the second challenge is about Kira, basically. Right. She's the wife of Ogden Morrow, Halliday's partner. And and we learned that, okay, he had a thing for her before Og and her got together. And they even went on a date, but the date wasn't successful. Um, and we're we're kind of like led to believe in the movie. It's because he didn't take her dancing and was too shy to kind of make that move. And th- this whole challenge revolves around kind of like rectifying that, right? Like, we don't know if Kira actually liked Halliday in that way. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Or if if that she was unhappy in her marriage with with Og, right? Like, she's she's dead. We won't get to ask her. Mm -hmm. And it's it's kind of like they, he, Halliday coded the challenge so that it, it leads you to believe that if he had, if he had made the leap, if he had done that, then she would have, she would be with Halliday and not with Ogden Morrow. So if I was Ogden Morrow, after this challenge came out, I would be pissed. <laughs> yeah. <I'd> be like, <laughs> oh, like you're making everyone think that if you had just danced with her, like she'd be with you and, and not, not my widow, like, like, or I wouldn't be your widow. So I, I really was like, really? Like, that's how, that's the direction you're going with that after this amazing start with The Shining? Like, the, I, I was, I was pretty upset with that. Yeah, I completely agree. I thought it took Kira's character and 
took all of her agency away, just like the a lot of the other female characters, because yeah. she had to be saved from these zombies who arguably just could be kicked at any <laughs> point of their body and they wouldn't fight back. Yeah. And they like rectified that by having a woman save her. But I'm like, that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't change anything. And I completely agree about how they set up my expectations to be so high when they came into the great room of the Outlook Hotel. And I was like, yeah. like, sorry, of the Overlook Hotel. And I was like, okay, all of them are going to like change into the characters. Like we're going to see Wendy. We're going to see Danny. We're going to yeah. see Jack. Yeah. We're going to see the twins. And then nobody was had that first player experience. And I was like, that's what blew my mind in the book. Like that was probably one of the yeah. coolest ideas because yeah, like I... Yeah, like the Blade Runner sequence for it. Right, like, like Blade... that'd be so cool to walk into that scene and yeah. like blow away yeah. uh, replicants and or our police officers. Totally. And yeah, the, Danny yeah. knows this about me, but I am one of the worst people to watch movies and television shows with because I quote every single line. Like <laughs> I am totally one of those people. Like for example, Super Troopers. Like my life and my relationship with my brother <laughs> is literally built around that movie, and there is no conversation. That yeah. does not quote Super uh, uh, Tim is the one who showed me Super Troopers. Oh, oh yeah, man. so you know, it's like the um, most quotable movie. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And so, like, to watch a movie with me is to watch me act out the movie. And so, like, that <laughs> concept in the book like blew my mind. And then the fact that he covered Blade Runner, which is one of my favorite movies, as well as Holy Grail, which is also a movie that I've watched a million different times. And then I'm even thinking about like oh my God, you could go to the life of Brian. You could go into like some of my favorite movies. I was like, this is so cool. And then to like bring it to The Shining, which I mean, that again, like top 10, one of my favorite movies, but then to not give me any of the characters and then they don't follow the storyline, like that ball coming into the ballroom or the great room, that was cool. But then like nobody interacted with Jack and Jack didn't come out and he didn't start chasing them through the maze. Like that's in my mind. I was like, they're going to be chased by Jack through the maze. And then it was just the zombie woman from. Well, yeah, it seems like at first it is Jack when they're outside, but that they never show his face. Yeah. And then it goes back to the zombie. Yeah, it's just the zombie woman. So like that didn't make sense in the world of the book. And that really bothered me i just went on a huge diatribe about how i didn't like that i (laughs) just like i agree yeah it it starts out and you're like yes this is gonna be great and then you're like what i just totally missed the missed the ball yeah and like zombies are not part of the shining like i don't understand that connection yeah yeah, like the, I didn't understand that connection. Like I don't understand why they didn't lean into all of the creepy things that happen in The Shining. Like there's a whole paranormal element to that whole movie and book and they didn't lean into that. I loved how they used the music. That was incredible. Yeah, like well, I wanted to comment on that, to piggyback on that. That's a Zoom term. I, like, can it. I piggyback on? They used the real footage and, and leftover footage from that Stanley Kubrick captured for that sequence. And they digitally put the characters so in there cool. saying it's seamless. And they even added a film grain to the mm. scene, but it's not, it's not so much that it's noticeable. It's just enough where it looks like the actual, like they are in the shining. And that was, you know, one of the times in the movie where I truly felt like I was in the Oasis and not watching a special effect. Like I'm like, this is what it would be like to live a movie. My biggest problem with it was H is mm. character in the movie of 
her saying that she had never seen the movie. And uh, this might just be a me thing, but even if you haven't seen The Shining, I feel like everyone knows the, you know, the iconic scenes or some well, of the them. Twins. Yeah, I mean, the twins. Yeah, the twins. And she's like, hey, little girls. Like, what you I'm like, <laughs> yeah. you know, everyone knows who the, those twins are. Like, even if, you, if you've never seen a movie in your life, you know well, the, like, come with us. Thing. Yeah, like, they're supposed yeah. to be geeks. So you're telling me. You know those twins are bad, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then when she's in the room 237 with the yeah. old lady, I'm like, yeah. Uh, that's like the oh, most she's gonna kiss me okay i guess i'll go along with this like she literally <laughs> says yeah. that out loud it's like, yeah i'm like yeah. uh that's yeah. kind of crazy so that's actually what bothered me the most the whole time i was thinking i'm like she knows what the i mean even if you haven't you know something so and she's just like clueless like oh what's yeah. over here it's supposed it's played as a comedic break right yeah, yeah. And the zombies didn't bother me as much as it bothered you. I think they make a point to say that there aren't zombies in The Shining, so we should go into this room. Uh, I think the the challenge itself was kind of weird and, as Tim pointed out, a kind of a little perverse because you don't know how Augie would feel about resurrecting their his dead wife in this in his game. You know, it does seem a little uncomfortable to think about that stuff, but. Yeah, um. I'll tell you what actually bothered me most about that scene and in in the movie. It also ties to a, a scene later in the movie, and, and it's about the the actual like reality of the uh, the scene. So it, there's only really two scenes in the movie that look like real life, right? Because every everything else, the the car scene, everything fight, like you can tell it's it's a simulation, right? But in in this scene. And then later when they hack Sorrento's rig and he thinks he's in real life, like that has major implications for right outside of the Oasis in the game. Like if mm-hmm. you can replicate real life where you can't tell the difference, like that's the matrix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's crazy. And, and they don't really, they don't, they don't do that in the, well, they, they talk about putting you in the movie, but I, I still like imagined like you knew you were in a simulation in a game, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, uh, the, okay, the VR tech's amazing, but to actually trick someone into not realizing they're still in VR, like I thought about that <laughs> for like three nights straight. I'm like, yeah. oh man, like who would you could take advantage of that in so many different ways. Yeah. Um, and in the in the movie, they're just like, oh yeah, we can do this, and I that like really bothered me. I was like, oh, this is awesome that they're in The Shining, but at the same time, like, I didn't really like how real and perfect it was i think that's what bothered me most you know what's funny about that scene as well is that sorrento leaves a fucking sticky note with his fucking password (laughs) that's labeled password stuck to his chair i saw that and i was like are you fucking kidding me like i just looked at danny and i was like that come on like that's not smart that is not smart (laughs) Also, just to tear to tear that scene apart even further, they did the classic like have the main characters explain oh what's my God, going yes. on while they're they're in the hack. No, like, yes, we talked about like, that. He's like now, he takes his face off. Yeah, he takes his face off like in in like the Mission Impossible movies. He like rips his face off, and then he walks around and he's like, 
like <laughs> explains exactly like that. It was like you just showed us that. Why would yeah. you? Why and would you? Well, H H is like. So you're telling me that that <laughs> yeah. Nolan thinks he's yeah. he's not in the simulation, and you're like, yeah, yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah, how are you not catching on to that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that part like really bugged oh, me. Man. There was a lot of really lazy writing. That was one of the the big three things that like really kept me up at night uh after after watching the movie mm-hmm. oh man what kept me up at night was thinking why that they installed pain receptors in the crotch for, yes um, <laughs> so, we talked about that too. yeah you've, you've told me about this and I, I have an interesting take on this so i feel like oddly enough we have this interesting relationship with pain and I mean, you've seen the Black Mirror episode, right? Uh, with the, they, yes. they can feel pain, right? I think it's a little, little not that extreme. But so I was fortunate enough to try out this kind of like this haptic VR vest, right? At at a, a tech conference a while ago, it had uh, it was a vest that had different pockets, and you were able to uh, simulate paintballing. And so when cool. you got hit, one of these pockets would expand, and you'd kind of feel it. It didn't really hurt, but like, it was like, a, oh, okay. And I was addicted to this thing. Like could not, I wanted to get hit so much, right? And like, <laughs> it, was like it, was, it was fascinating, right? So I get the appeal. Why you would put it on your crotch, I'm not so sure. Yeah. But this, this idea of being able to, to simulate pain or simulate being hit is, I don't think that crazy. Again, putting it on, on your, your groin is, is a maybe, okay, maybe don't do that. But I, yeah. I get yeah. where you're going from. I think the movie kind of exaggerated that part. But being able to do it everywhere where else, like I, I get the appeal of that and, and wanting to do that as, as odd as that sounds. Yeah, no, I think that definitely brings you deeper into the Oasis. And I think like that's what was so addictive about the removal from reality like that definitely helped and i liked that treadmill that 360 degree treadmill omnidirectional treadmill yeah yeah omnidirectional (laughs) treadmill but (laughs) but yeah i think like that specifically just like the legality of like putting pain receptors that would possibly even prevent someone from having a child if something happened like super serious like that the legality of that seemed a little bit crazy (laughs) to me but there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of how did that how does that work uh, in the movie like okay so some people walk on the omnidirectional treadmill but then nolan sorrento is in a chair Mm -hmm. (laughs) but then there are people just outside running yeah like on their feet but then but then that brings up another question so sometimes you can sit down but how does how does flying work when you're sitting down? Well, he had the wires in the car. Wade does. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Uh, Wade has that. But yeah, say if you're on the street and you're <laughs> participating in the final battle, and you're running, and it's like you run into a building. Yeah. And, but yeah. it's like how it's just like there there's stuff like that when you really think about it. It's like there really should be one. The movie doesn't designate one way yeah. to work the uh, VR. And I'm not saying it has to, but I'm just by making it completely open, you start to think about, okay, so then how does hanging off a ledge work when you're sitting in a chair? And it's like, why are these characters out of breath when ostensibly they would, they're not putting up that much physical activity unless yeah. they're on the treadmill? Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think the book just 
gave them a little bit yeah. less options. Yeah. Like the, they had to, they had to have a specific amount of technology maybe. So first of all, I, I get your issue with the, the movie because yeah, they just kind of like the whole chair thing makes, makes no sense for how that actually works when you're actually moving. Right. Yeah. I mean, I get that there can be different levels of interaction with, with VR because that's the case right now, right? If with a, with a headset, you usually get the headset, you get two controllers and there's varying levels of controllers, right? There's just ones that you can control two points and then there's ones that actually have joysticks and you can do more. So I, I like that in the book, he kind of explained like, so he has a, he's a school issued visor right. and clubs to start out. That's like base level. Yeah. And he's sitting in a chair. He doesn't have the omnidirectional treadmill in, in the book. He's sitting in a chair and he uses the gloves to move like, and, and that makes sense. Cause that's how you move right now in, in VR, you have your joysticks and you kind of like, you can either move with the joystick or you can teleport right with the joystick, but that's how you move. So I, I get that. Okay. In this futuristic world, you now have these gloves that are easier to interact and you can, okay, I want to go there. I want to go there. Or maybe you just like look that way. And then as he gets more money, he kind of upgrades his rig that kind of like suspends him. And then he gets the omnidirectional treadmill. So no matter what you're experiencing it, whereas yeah, then in the, in the movie, you just get this <laughs> chair. <laughs> it makes it makes no it makes no sense. And my my favorite absurd example was in the opening shots, there's a guy like surfing mm. on top of the stacks. Whereas like if you fall, yeah. you're going twenty <laughs> down. Just like, yeah, no, no safety strap, no, no nothing. So I, I think yeah, there's the, the book does a good job of like, okay, there's varying levels of of immersion and, and tech, whereas the movie's just like, eh. It, it just gets more futuristic looking and it, it just works. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's a good point. Yeah. People just could like run to the street and get run over. Right. Arguably. Yeah. <laughs> this was life or death. I mean, IOI was about True. to win, so you do anything you could to, to win the game. True. Yeah. What a half a trillion dollars. Yeah. Well, yeah, that actually makes me think about the motivation behind the characters in the movie. Like, I thought it was interesting in the book that Artemis wanted to use the money to better the world. And in my head, that actually started me thinking about Halliday's motivation for creating the game. Because at first I was like, okay, this is absolutely ridiculous. The world is garbage at this point. And he has so much money that arguably he should have died and put that money back into the economy. Like that is so irresponsible to have like <laughs> trillions of dollars and you've got people who are literally starving and living in stacks of RVs, which is so dangerous. Like I'm like, that is ridiculous, but I'll like suspend my... <laughs> I'll, I'll suspend my judgment because it's a cool idea, whatever. But then I think as I got to know Halliday through the book, I was like, no, that actually kind of does make sense. Like he was so isolated that I don't think he really could see the outside world. And they did make a point, or Ernest Klein made the point of saying like, he did sort of suspend himself in that VR oasis by the end. Like, I don't think he 
maybe knew how bad things were for their people. And I think that maybe is sort of a statement on how people can isolate themselves and technology and all that. And I thought that that was really compelling. And I also was thinking about the way that Artemis wanted to use the money because she did realize that people had stopped looking for solutions. They had just sort of turned to this escapism, which was working for them. And so they just started to let things go and they stopped looking for ways to better the world. And then she sort of brought Wade around to the idea that that would be a more altruistic way of winning that money. And so it gave her and the Gunters more of a motivation to get that money. Whereas obviously the Sixers just wanted to like put it back into advertising and like make the money back for themselves. So like that was really compelling in the book. But in this, she was like, oh, I just want to defeat the Sixers because they got killed killed my my dad." dad. And I was like, that I don't care. I don't give a shit about your dad. I've never seen your dad. I don't really care about you. Like, tell me why I should care about your character and your dad who's dead. I've never met him. Um, so that just kind of bothered me. It just, it didn't really make me root for them as much because like all that they did in the movie was build that good guy, bad guy thing, which is fine, but it's a very simple plot. And so that I think intrinsically didn't engage me to the level that the book did yeah i think as cheesy as the ending is with halliday i i like mark rylance's performance yeah i agree yeah mark rylance is spielberg's new guy he started in the bfg with spielberg bridge of spies which is actually i just saw that for the first time actually really good movie bridge of spies mark rylance won the best supporting oscar for that in 2016 Rylance toes the line. It's it's tough to play characters that it's never outright stated that he's on the spectrum, but you can tell just it's implied through his performance that he has some communication issues. In the book, is it mentioned that he has Asperger's possibly? I think in the book, if I remember correctly, they say that it was never confirmed, but speculators said that he had that yeah so i think based on just rylance's performance i could tell the first time watching it that halliday wanted someone like him Mm -hmm. to win the contest but he made sure that that person was also aware of the negative side of the oasis how Mm -hmm. they're how the real prize is uh the life that you get to live outside of the Oasis. And I think the movie came under some hot water because he kind of wins the girl at the end. Like Mm. Artemis is kind of his trophy as along with the Oasis at the end. And it ends with him, you know, like every Tuesday and Thursday, no Oasis. And they they (laughs) close it on Tuesday. It'd be like shutting down the world on Tuesday and Thursday. Just like, yeah. Like people work, they have relationships. If you cut that off. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And he spins around (laughs) in his chair and is, you know, kissing. And it's like, some people don't have that, Wade. Um, (laughs) Some people don't have a girlfriend. It pulls out and the stacks are still there. You're like, so you completely forgot where you came from? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, That's where Spielberg's direction that, that was the one glimpse of this movie where I'm like, oh, he actually like probably sat down with Mark Rylance to really sculpt this character and to come up with someone flawed yeah. because he created the Oasis in the first place. And this kind of, it hasn't really saved society. It's been a, a nice distraction. 
but some people get lost in it. So I, I think in the f- finale, as cheesy as that dialogue was, the performance was there to prove to me why he made the Easter egg hunt so hard. It was to find the right person who would be responsible enough to use the o- Oasis in a way. Now, as Tim, you've already stated that you don't think closing on Tuesdays and Thursdays would be the best plan. <laughs> I don't either because it, just the logistics of it, it's like maybe you could like, I don't know how you would limit time, but like maybe have it so a person can't be on the Oasis for an X amount of days and they would have to like get fresh air. I, like, do you have any solutions? I, I haven't thought of the solution, but just just that they <laughs> threw it out there so casually yeah. made me so angry. Just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, we, we decided to close it on Tuesdays, like not even back to back. So like that really, right. if you're on a work schedule, that really interrupts <laughs> yeah. your work week. And then if you're trying to date someone or have a relationship, you're cut off two days from seeing them. And then... Yeah, it's not like Saturday and Sunday, which are in real life, the holiday or like your break and then yeah like back to back you don't have that in the oasis like how would that i want to see a movie where they do close it tuesday and thursdays and just now poverty's skyrocketed (laughs) the the suicide rate probably doubled because people can't go get their escape i mean that that just like that the fact that they just didn't even think about that and threw that in there i I, that has kept me up multiple nights all right that's really upsetting Well, you know, what's really interesting is that Ernest Cline co-wrote the script. And I was so shocked when I read that. There was a lot of stuff in here that I was like, it's so disingenuous to the meticulous way that he created the rules of the Oasis for the book. I can't imagine signing off on that. And I thought it was kind of funny how I personally didn't think the connection between the clue and the shining was very solid. They were like, oh, it's the the piece of arts, the creation that the artist rejected or the artist didn't love. And I was like, are they talking about Frankenstein? Because that is the Frankenstein plot. But then they were like the shining and they were like, Oh, because Stephen King wrote the book and hated the movie. I was like, that's your connection. Like (laughs) that's really tentative. But then, like I said, it just like, there was a lot of stuff where you got to know Halliday's psyche and you could understand every decision he made and all the connections, even though like Danny said, he was a flawed person. But I think because, see, okay, I had an issue with the journal not being Wade's because it hadn't, it wasn't his like- Fair. Yeah, like it just, right. Like everything was there for people to just like type into a search engine. And like, I thought that was a little silly, but you didn't get that connection to Halliday in the movie. And so, again, even though he's flawed in the book, you can see those connections. But in the movie, it was like, we don't have that information. Like, you're just sort of, you have to then add this exposition dialogue, which was so clunky and so terrible, because you're, you're working so hard to get the audience to make those connections. That it just was like, it just was really falling apart by the end for me. So (laughs) that's like, having the first challenge be on Ludos, like that, that was yeah. a really important part of the story, right? That he wants someone like him who didn't have much, who he wanted anybody to be able to find it. And in the movie, he's like, yeah, I'm poor, but I got this cool DeLorean and, you know, we're, we're making it work. Whereas like he couldn't even, he couldn't go anywhere but his school world. Yeah. And, and that's the only reason he was in the Oasis in the first place is that he had a school issued visor and haptic gloves and, 
that's how he was able to find it. I, I thought like, oh, you could have, you could have done that in the movie. I get, mm-hmm. I, I get the race scene, right? I get it <laughs> visually. It was incredible and could have been the second challenge. I don't know. But yeah, I, I agree. Totally don't have that connection between Halliday creating this contest and wanting someone like him to win it or, or have it be fair, right? Even mm-hmm. for that fact. Yeah. We've been really slamming on the movie pretty hard, but I want to try to find one element. I I praise the shining sequence, uh, uh, the visuals of that. Uh, Again, the visuals across the board are pretty phenomenal. It moves at a pretty good pace, the film, even though I think the third act is a little numbing. Mm. To me, it still has a sense of propulsion. Well, speaking of the last scene... I really like how they visualized how multiple characters would die with a gunshot or Megatron smashing a bunch under his feet. That was so cool when there was that wave of red that would go across the floor of the IOI. I was like, that is really cool. And I can see that. Oh, in the real world. Yeah. Right, sorry. Yeah, when the red would flip. That was cool. Right, that was really cool. I can see that as happening in real life you know if we had those vr rooms that was really clever i liked that visualization a lot yeah janus kaminsky is spielberg's regular cinematographer and what they did for the movie was all the scenes in real life was shot on film so it has that uh the noise the grain Mm -hmm. and then everything in the oasis except for the shining sequence it was shot on digital Mm mm-hmm and that is clear, crisp, and has a kind of a different mobility there and a different visual color to yeah. it. So the cinematography was good. Alan Silvestri did the score. It's one of the few times that Spielberg didn't work with John Williams mm. for his scores. He Spielberg, for most of his films, except for, I think, three. He... Alan Silvestri did Forrest Gump? Yep. Yeah, Nailed wow. Well, well done. Yeah. I listen to uh, a lot of uh, movie soundtracks while I study and work. <laughs> yeah, so he did. Also did the Avengers movies, uh, Endgame, Infinity War. Yeah, so. Oh. Yeah, the, all, all the technical elements. I mean, it's a Spielberg movie. It's $200 million budget. I mean, it, it certainly looks good. And, yeah. yeah, but I definitely agree that there's not a feeling that Jaws has. And there's not yeah. that feeling that you get when you watch the first Jurassic Park. Like, yeah. you don't yeah. feel like this is a Spielberg movie. I don't I, I knew when it was coming out that he had directed it. But after watching it, there's not that Spielberg value. No, you know, yeah. which is definitely disappointing when it's two hours and 20 minutes yeah. long. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. After this podcast ends, I'm going to completely forget about it for quite a while. I think. Yeah. <laughs> but if it popped up on TV, I think I'd be excited. I'd be like, oh, okay, I could watch half of this movie right now. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think overall, I really liked how it started, right? The, the race scene, just I could watch forever. Mm-hmm. And then I really liked the end scene. I, I liked visualizing this attack on Castle Anorak. And I really liked all the, there was so much happening that, you know, you have to rewatch it a few times just to see everything. But I liked that there was some, some humor in it with Chucky. I thought that was, like, <laughs> that was pretty <laughs> funny. Yeah. Uh, I agree with Laura that the mass avatar deaths looks awesome uh, in the scene. Um, I loved the the whole orb of Ossovox sequence, um, and that what I think that was my favorite line of the movie when <laughs> Nolan goes to Iraq and he's like, 
how long is this supposed to say F4? And he goes, I think like 10, yeah, like 10 million years. So <laughs> yeah. <pretty> good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. and then yeah, after he gets the egg and it goes back to the real life, I couldn't have cared less. Like what happened after that, when they're the chase scene in real life of the cars, I felt nothing for any of those characters. Yeah. Um, when Nolan, you know, is going through the whole crowd with a gun, I'm like, okay, is this like, are we doing this right now? Yeah. Um, and then yeah, afterwards, uh, when they, you know, kiss and it's the end like that after the actual battle, I I could care less. But I, I it's it's funny. We, we just spent two hours kind of picking apart all the, the parts of the movie <laughs> I didn't like. And really, I just I liked it overall because it was visually very entertaining and just a fun, fun ride like that. That end battle scene with all the robots. And I think I'm I'm filling in the gaps of the movie, like with the, the knowledge of the book, right, of all the, the robots and things that I would have liked to see. And it's interesting. I, I was reading a lot of reviews about this and, and there were a lot of people who didn't like the book. And, and and a lot of people who didn't love the, like the movie, but they didn't like the book because there are so many references, right? And they just, he keeps doing that. But I loved it and had my phone and Google up and every single reference, yeah. I'm like, let's lose 20 minutes to figuring out about this 80s obscure, you know, anime robot show, which I kind of geeked out on. So I'm, I'm, I was trying to figure out who this book and movie is for. And, you know, I didn't think Laura was going to like it, but she did. And, you know, my, my coworker is not a gamer. He's like this 40 year old superintendent guy who like, he loved it. I, mm -hmm. I'm trying to figure out who, who it was for is because it, it, a lot of, a lot of different people really liked it. And a lot of people who I thought would like it did not. So I'm, mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting. Yeah, that's a really good question about who it's for, because I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to myself, but like you said, I, definitely lost a lot of time Googling stuff that I didn't know. And one of the things that I really enjoyed was making the connections with that show, The Toys That Made Us, because I was like, something that I really appreciated about that show that I did not see coming was that it made me feel like I put my childhood into context of what I was enjoying when I was a kid. And you think everything is about yourself and your world is so small, but your toys are your world in a way. And like, that's how you create your world. And like, of course I played with Barbie and I played with GI Joe because my brother had them, but even learning about like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which I didn't really play with, it just made me understand like where I was born and what time I was born into and why people enjoyed yes. those toys and why they were such a big deal and why they defined a generation. And I don't know why that was so interesting to me, but it just like really, again, it just changed my perspective on when I was born. And so I really enjoyed watching someone else do that. Like it was very similar in this book. And I really liked that process of putting your life into context and Right. I didn't grow up in the 80s, but it was really enjoyable for me. Like, I didn't grow up that far away from the 80s. And a lot of my friends, older siblings, like you, Tim, like, you know, they all had those toys and they all liked those shows. And so I still got the tastes. And I think the 80s are definitely really back in a big way. Oh, yeah. Right Str now, Stranger like, Things has oh, brought yeah. it back. Stranger <laughs> Things. And so I yeah. really, I don't yeah. think that this book is out of context at all. Like, I really think that you could, you know, recommend this to someone and just say, like, maybe you won't understand all the references, but definitely maybe flesh out your understanding of the 80s by watching, like, the CNN show or the Toys of oh, Midas oh, yeah. and stuff like that. Like, it's just kind of a fun way of understanding the world. Yeah, I think that that's 
really encapsulates my experience reading the book. A lot of the times it felt like Ernest Klein was just writing down his childhood or his references. And sometimes it took, it, it took me out of the book being this like, okay, Ernest Klein just wants to talk about this specific show. But other times I was thinking to myself, what would I write if I was writing this book? Totally. What would I do? And a lot of times I was just substituting certain games or other stuff. Like a big part of my childhood was watching Tim play Spyro. Uh, oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and I would play after him and lose a bunch of the times. Or, or, or a big part of my childhood was being at the edge of the living room while Tim or Matt or both of them watched a movie that maybe wasn't appropriate for me, (laughs) but I would kind of sneak and watch it. And I'm thinking like, oh, if I was writing this book, it would be, you know, a decade later, probably like late nineties, early aughts, my formative years. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like what, what movies would I put in there? Like the, you know, the, the 1999 Godzilla movie, which is not, (laughs) Not great, but was a big part of growing up, and I has that nostalgia factor there, and totally, it made me think about my childhood definitely. And Tim knows I was a little a little shit uh, growing up, but <laughs> but uh, both Tim and Matt were definitely. You guys were uh, so impactful for the stuff that I like today, the movies, the shows. I mean, my sense of humor comes from both of you guys. And, you know, I joined a sketch group in college and I don't think I would feel comfortable if I didn't, you know, spend years trying out my material with you two. (laughs) So, yeah, thanks for again for that, Tim. And I'm sorry I was a, a brat growing up. I know Matt was so much old he's eight years older than me and i always viewed him as like an adult and then tim was more close only four (laughs) years older than me and i think i unfairly tim since i like viewed matt as an adult like i didn't favor matt but it's like you know he was an adult and i was like i would never be a brat to him and so i i that's what keeps me up at night i i'm getting really sentimental now but i feel like i was such a little shit to you so 26 years i finally got the apology yeah i know no i yeah this is nothing to do with the podcast but that's just been weighing on my chest all these years no i think it it makes sense when you Again, like putting your childhood into context, I've never thought about doing that. Like that's not something that I ever thought about. But when I really started to think about the toys that I played with and the movies that I watched, like I can't wait to watch the other two series on Netflix called The Movies That Made Us and The Holiday Movies That Made Us because I'm so interested to know. I just I never really think about that time as history because it's like so such a recent recent past. But even now, like we're almost 32, like we're almost 30 as well not 32 (laughs) but like that puts it even further in the past and so it's just kind of interesting now I think a lot of people are just starting I think this you know it goes in waves how people start to reanalyze things and you know that'll happen with the Trump era like nuts I'm sure yeah but it's just kind of cool like as we get further away from it to understand that time and that place so I think that's like it speaks to a lot of people who are our age so maybe it just sort of hits that sweet spot with people in our age group because that's just sort of the time that we're going through right now yeah yeah well said yeah well Tim out of four stars what would you give the book and what would you give the movie so out of four stars I think I'd give the book three and a half um, it was, it was great. It, it just, yeah, there were a few changes I'd make or 
Yeah, just what was it? It wasn't a perfect book, right? Um, mm-hmm. In movie, I'd probably give two and a half out of four. It was a little better than average. wasn't wasn't quite three star worthy. Yeah. How about you? Uh, the book, I, I'm going back and forth between three and three and a half. I, I think I'm more on the on the three range for me. There are some improbable parts and, and cringy parts. Some on purpose, some intentional, some not. Uh, the movie. I spent a lot of time <laughs> criticizing it, but a lot of that comes out of love because I see a lot of the other elements that I really enjoy, like the technical elements. I think technically this movie is pretty, mm-hmm. pretty great, but I can't get over the script problems. Yeah. Anything under two stars seems too harsh, but I mean, I can't go above two. I, I just can't. So two for the movie. Um, I'm a snob. I know uh, <laughs> in the movie they used Iron Giant as a weapon when the mm. whole point of the movie is that he's not a weapon. But, uh, <laughs> that, that's just the whole point of the Iron Giant. And just to see that, you know, again, I, I'm a film snob. So what do I know? But Laura? Yeah, I enjoyed the book so much. I would, without hesitation, give it a three and a half. But like Tim said, it's not a perfect book. There were a lot of times where I was like, that is such a coincidence. I don't like that, right? I think the last third of the book was very rushed. I felt like he just sort of wanted to get it over with. So three and a half for the book. For the movie, I'm going to give it a two because I was laughing at scenes that I didn't think should have been laughed at. However, I feel like I could give it a solid two and a half if I saw it in the theater and I really let it the visuals hit me because that's really where this movie finds its strength. And I just didn't quite feel like that could come through our admittedly large television plus the sound bar. But I just maybe I would give it an extra half star if I could see it in IMAX or at the Cinema Dome. Yeah, that's how that's how well we're doing, listeners. We have a TV (laughs) and a sound bar. Yikes. And, and oh, that was a write-off because we're going to charge it for the podcast. Yeah, write-off. Write-off for that. We're not making any money. We're not for making any money. Uh, Tim, something that we'd recommend that we've started doing, and for listeners too, to enhance your viewing experience, we put LED strips on the back of the TV. So when you turn on the TV at can, night, yeah, at night it illuminates. And I, I, I don't know why. I think it, it's like a study or something like that on how your eye works but if you watch a movie in a dark room with your tv backlit it enhances the picture does it's, it just plug right in to the tv yeah, yeah it's it, a USB. it plug usb plug and it's very easy you just it's like self-adhesive yeah so for all the listeners and tim and we would definitely recommend that uh, it's fairly cheap so if you don't like it it's <laughs> then you've only wasted 15 dollars. so yeah, yeah we put it we got one for my parents for christmas and i've found that it's been unplugged a couple times we've gone over so i don't know if well it's the it, during the day you, you can't use it right well but, yeah i still don't know <laughs> um, enjoy it, order them right now oh awesome um Wait, I do have one final question for you guys. Yes. Um, Matt inspired this with his kind of like character. Um, if if you could be any avatar, right? If you if you were had access to the Oasis and you could create any avatar for yourself, top of your head, what what would you uh, would you choose? Oh, That's great such a good question. Question. And yeah, I don't I don't have a the perfect answer for for me because I. Thought, thought of this just as as we were going through i was like oh, matt had a cool question at the end i need to have a cool one. Oh, that's a great question i would be the predator 
because you have all the tactical gear to defend yourself in the pvp zones Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and you just look badass you have bombs you have a spaceship that you could fly you have dreadlocks (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i think i think it's the perfect mixture of utility but also visually there's nothing cooler than the predator cool okay did i mention the dreadlocks (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah dreadlocks My, uh, oh, yeah. heat vision if anyone crosses you you rip out their spine <laughs> a little morbid but okay mine is gonna be really geeky but one of my absolute top favorite shows is the original wonder woman with linda carter all of those TV shows from the 70s are oh, my yeah. bread and butter I watch those non-stop I absolutely love how cheesy they are. I love how absolutely ridiculous <laughs> the world is that her powers work in. I love that it takes place in Los Angeles. It was shot in Los Angeles, but they try to cover it up as DC, but you constantly see the Los Angeles skyline. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love everything about that show. And so I think I would be Linda Carter from the original Wonder Woman series because she's got like great gadgets. She can jump. She can like, she's super smart. I think she's super foxy. Her style is on point. She's got these great, awesome, huge glasses. And I just have fun watching that show. So I don't think I would be doing a lot of battling in the Oasis. I think I would just like be flipping around and like lassoing people with my lasso of truth. And I don't know, I enjoy that show. So I think I'd enjoy being her as an avatar. Yeah, but can a lasso of truth defend against a shoulder cannon? But I wouldn't be <laughs> battling, so it wouldn't matter. I would just sort of oh, be hopping true. around making people tell the truth. Linda Carter does not have dreadlocks, so. <laughs> She's uh, got a nice hair <laughs> too, though, under her crown. That is true. Which is also functions as a boomerang to, like, hit people with. Snaps. So. <laughs> um, I'm also seeing our DVD of Dread, the Carl Urban movie. I would love to just be justice is coming <laughs> all right tim well, what's your pick so yeah i'm I, I was going two ways with it right i'm thinking okay so i, I get your your pick of the predator because it looks cool and he has all the gadgets but i mean it really doesn't matter because you can equip your person avatar with any gadgets right so i could either go comedic and and kind of be like that stay puffed marshmallow man from ghostbusters right where it's just <laughs> yeah <laughs> Like a bazooka and, and machine guns, yeah. um, or or something a little cooler like Deadpool. I was thinking would be a yeah. Good one. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah, that was a good one. Oh, what about the AI woman in Ex Machina? Ooh, she would be uh, really Ava. awesome. Ava. Yeah, yeah. We cool. could do an hour long podcast on just avatars. We'd want to be. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to do a bonus episode of pros and cons of who yeah. you choose as an <laughs> why, avatar. Hey, in the why Oasis. not? We're doing bonus episodes now. We released a bonus episode That's last true. week. Eleven from Stranger Things. That'd be cool. I don't like her. I, so you don't like the <laughs> actress, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. There are other people I'd rather be in Stranger Things. The other girl, the one who can make you see things. No. And no. everyone's favorite episode of season two of Stranger Things. Joyce. I want to be Joyce. She's Tim. So- oh, yeah. But anyway, we should. <laughs> Tim got that joke. Yeah. All right. Well. This has been another amazing episode. Tim, bro, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, and thanks for for suggesting this great book. I never would have read it without your suggestion. So I am so pleasantly surprised. (laughs) Yeah, you and me both, Tim. I I did not think you would like it. Laura's kind of like mom, Tim, in that most things sci-fi, it's just you turn it on and 
asleep in 10, I mean, <laughs> 10 minutes. I mean, it's hard to say that when we watch more and more sci-fi. Like, I loved Ex Machina. I love, yeah. like, I've loved a lot of stuff that you've showed me. So I feel like I'm coming out of that. Like, I loved Ad Astra and I loved Moon. So mm. I feel like I'm coming around to the genre a lot. True. Well, hey, welcome in. It's a great genre. <laughs> All right, Tim. Awesome. This is great, again. guys. Had a blast. Yeah. Yeah. You can find us on most social media platforms to search film is lit pod on Instagram. It's film underscore is underscore lit underscore pod. <laughs> So find us there. Uh, read my reviews on Letterboxd. My handle is Danny G Reviews. Uh, rate and review if you want to. No pressure. And this is season four. So this is the our fan requests. requests season. So if you have a request for us, either DM us or if you know us, text us. Uh, and if we, we don't fit your episode into season four, maybe season five. Uh, we, got, yeah. we got a lot coming up. So yeah, welcome. Welcome. <laughs> All right. Well, you killed my mother's sister. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone, goodbye. You killed my mother's sister. Peace.